Hey y'all, Rick Houston here, and I want to tell you about my new show, the Moonshine and Motorsports Racing Podcast. I've partnered up with the state of North Carolina Department of Natural and Cultural Resources to help uncover the history behind moonshining mountain boys, professional wheelmen, and the backwoods and city lights of the Tar Heel State. In the first episode, I sat down with Winston Kelly at the NASCAR Hall of Fame for a little behind-the-scenes gossip about Junior Johnson's engineering skills. He's got two things in his hand, pipe wrench and channel lock pliers, and they weren't new. They had been been around the block a time or two. What's the first deal they built, I bet? No, no, you know, I think they were, the the pliers had been red before, but paint had worn off. And in the second episode, I talked to a professional hillbilly, a.k.a. Dr. Daniel Pierce of UNC Asheville, to find out the real history of moonshiners and their battles with the revenuers. He wrote about one of his experience of trying to chase down this uh, this bootlegger and this this souped up car, and he he complained that the government gave him these piece of crap, cheapo cars, and that, that were really no match. But he thought he was doing pretty good, and then the guy just hits it and just takes off and practically disappears. But then the guy makes a bootleg turn uh, and comes back towards him. And as he said, it was a game of chicken, and I was the chicken. And so he ran off the road. And actually, he was the guy who who caught Junior Johnson at his daddy's steal when Junior got tangled up in a a barbed wire fence. So check out the Moonshine and Motorsports Racing Podcast, available on YouTube, DailyDownForce.com, and all of your favorite podcasting platforms. And be sure to check out my regular show on NASCAR history, the Scene Vault Podcast. Hey there, NASCAR fans. Have you got your copy of the latest edition of NASCAR Pole Position Print Magazine? If not, there's no better time than now to subscribe at PolePositionMag.com. NASCAR Pole Position is the only print magazine covering NASCAR. Officially licensed by NASCAR, NASCAR Pole Position Magazine is published throughout the NASCAR season, and each edition is an instant collector's item backed with great feature stories and photography. The magazine is even mailed to you in a poly bag for those who love to collect NASCAR memorabilia. At PolePositionMag.com, you can even find past issues available to purchase. Get your subscription to NASCAR Pole Position and get great NASCAR content delivered straight to your mailbox throughout the season. Learn more at PolePositionMag.com. That's PolePositionMag.com. Hello, my name is Rick Houston, and welcome to the Scene Vault Podcast, your source for all things NASCAR history. Presented by Las Vegas Motor Speedway, America's racing showplace. Steve Wade has a very distinct eye roll. Even during this process of trying to catch up with LW, I saw that eye roll more than once. He also says that he went to Talladega, at least in part, to satisfy some trouble that he was in with the FBI. How how does that happen? Are you going to hide from the FBI in plain sight? I'll be really curious to see what comes next, if there is something that comes next uh, in the L.W. Wright story. I think you'd be surprised at how many fans have responded to us by saying, why didn't you just leave it alone? Really, why didn't you let the legend of L.W. Wright just stand 
like DB Cooper's had. The day NASCAR and all of us associated in any way with NASCAR forget its past, that's the day we don't have any future. Hello, everyone. I'm Steve Wade. And my name is Rick Houston. And I'm Eric Eastep from Out of the Groove. And this is a special episode of the Scene Vault podcast in collaboration with Out of the Groove. Uh, gentlemen, I feel almost out of place because you guys have been covering this incredible story for uh, at least a year now, right, Rick? Uh, since you first got introduced to the man NASCAR fans know as L.W. Wright. Well, actually, I've been chasing the story for about two years. Oh, wow. Yeah, I mean, well, this is like, like I was saying earlier, this is a crazy, crazy journey. Uh, you know, I don't even know how to put it. I don't even know how to describe it fully. It, it's incredible. I, I've just been reading along. I listened to the first episode you guys did uh, eight or nine months ago last year. Uh, fans have been following along, I think, waiting uh, on the edge of their seat for new updates and Rick, it sounds like we've gotten some new updates in the past week or so. So what is the big news this week, uh, the breaking news around L.W. Wright? Well, the the breaking news and, and the latest update on everything that's happened is that Larry Wright, L.W. Wright, is in jail right now. Uh, he was picked up in Knox County for theft over $2,500, burglary, evading arrest and worthless checks. And that was for charges in uh, Jefferson County, Tennessee, which is just right next to Knox County. Wow. Uh, and <laughs> I guess for my viewers, at least, because this is going out both uh, as a podcast, of course, under the Scene Vault podcast, but it's also being shared on YouTube. Your audience obviously knows the full story, I think, at this point of LW, right? And I think many of my viewers do as well. But I guess to kind of jump off here, can you sort of give us like a it's hard to make it brief, I know, but a brief explanation as to what makes L.W. Wright's story so fascinating. Well, L.W. Wright's story is fascinating because Steve Wade was there and actually covered the race that he ran on May 2nd, 1982 in Talladega. <laughs> we were there uh, to cover the race at San. Yes, I was there. But let me explain. We didn't take a second look at L.W. Wright. Because back in those days, the races at Daytona and Talladega usually had more entries than they could handle. That's because a lot of drivers that didn't do much racing always wanted to race in those two races. There were four races, by the way. So L.W. Wright was one of them. We just tossed it off. You know, when we got there and looked at the entry list, this guy will not qualify. We never heard of him. And so let's just move on. Didn't pay him a single mind of attention while we were there. And though he started the race, as Rick will tell you, he didn't last long, and we had no surprise about that. Had no idea what he really was and what he was really up to, and much less the fact that his so-called legend would last this long. Well, Eric, I'll, I'll just expand on that and say this. If people in NASCAR who had left behind unpaid bills if they all became legends, uh, it, it would be enough to fill several stadiums. It would be <laughs> enough to field several racetracks. But I think what made LW different was the fact or the, the story that arose was that he made off with 
more than $44,000 of equipment and cash and then disappeared. Wow. Now that's the story, but I think in this case, truth is truly stranger than fiction. And yes, he stayed underground. He stayed unseen for almost exactly 40 years. We actually posted our podcast interview with him on the 40th anniversary of that race. So the legend is that he vanished into thin air with all this loot and became NASCAR's version of DB Cooper. And again, as readers began to find out in the first part of the story that I posted on our website, the same vault.com truth really is stranger than fiction. And the second part of that story will go up hopefully as soon as I get through with this interview. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I well, reading the first half, I guess uh, I, I'm now looking forward to part two as soon as we wrap this up. But uh, it, it sounds, I mean, you kind of detailed the start of your relationship, how you first got connected with the man we now know as L.W. Wright. Can you go a little more in detail into how you got in contact with, I guess first you think you said it was his son, and then yes. eventually you were able to meet the man himself? Well, the son and I formed a relationship. Chris and I formed a relationship via text and direct message. And we went back and forth. I'm honestly not exaggerating through hundreds of messages. You know, how are you doing? What's the latest? Is there any way that we can get this deal done? Can I talk to Larry? Can I talk to your dad? From the very beginning, his biggest concern always seemed to be getting his identity found out and then dying in jail. That was from day one a resounding theme of his reluctance to sit down and talk. And we got in touch, Chris and I got in touch. And then it was another, it was almost a year before I actually sat down with LW. What happened a little bit before that, Eric, uh, Rick was always, always obsessed with LW Wright. I mean, he told me repeatedly how we'd love to find that guy and talk to him. Well, I thought Rick was crazy because I didn't think he would ever find L.W. Wright. If nobody found him for 40 years, what makes you think you could find him now? <laughs> and then he told me excitedly one day that he'd been in touch with his son. But that didn't really lead directly to what Rick wanted. It took him another, gosh, I'd say well over a year to get established with L.W. because the son kept saying, L.W. doesn't feel well today, or L.W. this, or L.W. that. And uh, that, to me, led, led to the fact that L.W. was really hesitant about doing this because of, obviously, what Rick said, of being caught and perhaps going to jail. But it overcame that. Right, Rick? Well, Eric, it's actually kind of funny because when I would go to Steve with the latest update on LW and Larry Wright and Chris and whatever. I worked with Steve day in and day out for nine years. And I know that look that he has when he's like, what in, you know, what in the world is Houston talking about now? He is chasing this rabbit. And, you know, I got used to that eye roll. Steve Wade has a very distinct eye roll. And even during this process of trying to catch up with LW, I saw that eye roll more than once <laughs> and yeah, he was like, okay, yeah, you're almost ready to interview him. Yeah. Okay. I've, I've heard that before Hoss. We would get close 
and then it wouldn't happen. We would get close and then it wouldn't happen. We would get close and then it wouldn't happen. But ultimately the tide turned for me at least when I met Chris in a parking lot of a Wendy's fast food restaurant <laughs> and he, he actually gave me the uniform that LW Wright wore that day in Talladega. You know, I don't want to over dramatize it or anything, but for me personally, that was kind of the, the Indiana Jones moment. That was the Holy grail when I saw that thing, because it matches the only known photograph of LW Wright perfectly. Perfectly. And so I got back in the car. I actually didn't want to take it because I didn't want to take responsibility for it. I consider that a pretty valuable artifact, but Chris wanted me to have it in order to prove that his story, his dad's story was true. And for me, it was the smoking gun. It was the one thing that truly proved that everything they said was true. At least when it came to Talladega. <laughs> well, I guess on that note, uh, because yes, the photo of the uh, the fire suit uh, was uh, you had that in that article that you posted uh, on the scenevault.com. Um, but besides Talladega, you know, you mentioned that in a couple times you sat down with Larry Wright. His story changed a little bit. He uh, attempted maybe to qualify for earlier races. Maybe he did. Maybe he didn't. Uh, can you go into detail a little bit? Like, how difficult, firstly, was it to kind of discern exactly what was the truth versus what was maybe him just kind of saying whatever. And did he race before Talladega? He did race on Virginia short tracks. I think that much is pretty easy to confirm. He was on the front of a publication that was put out by one of the local short tracks as being one of the late model racers at that racetrack. And, you know, I've got multiple pictures of him in various old late model race cars. So that much was easy to confirm. And to be honest with you, he said that he raced under the name Larry Wright. And so you do a search on race and reference and there's no Larry Wright, hmm. or at least not that Larry Wright. He said that he raced under the name Gary Gilbert. And so I did a search for that name and that didn't turn up anything. One of the reasons why I didn't immediately publish everything or release everything from that first interview, I didn't want to come out and just flat out call him a bold faced liar. Hmm. I wanted to honestly and truly do my due diligence to prove or disprove the things that he had said and give him the benefit of the doubt. Because the fact of the matter is I like Larry, Wright. He's a good guy. He's funny. He is quick with a quip. Uh, I mean, the interview that's going to post today, he said something about uh, one of the people who was involved in the Talladega deal. He ended the quote by saying, you don't pee in a fan. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, it, that's just one of the country kind of backwoods things that he would say, but it makes you like him. It makes you trust him. And then things happen. And that's how he gets you. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, so in it, I know you wrote about like Darlington. So did you ever find out, like, did he ever attempt to race at Darlington, for example? As far as I was able to determine, nobody under any of his known aliases ever raced in either Winston Cup or ARCA, which is the other division that he claims to have driven in. If he somehow ran under another name, I have not been able 
to determine that. But if you go through all the known aliases and you go through his story that tends to change back and forth, you know what to think. Well, to echo what Rick is saying, I understand after reading all this material and listening to Rick, the kind of person LW can be when it comes to being quick with a quip or a story or something like that. But once you read through both parts of Rick's story, you come to realize that a guy this smooth and this quick, for one of a better phrase, makes a pretty good con man. I mean, let's face it. And I'm not calling names or anything, but the traits that make this type of individual pretty good when it comes to, oh, getting on the other side of the law very smoothly, those traits are very obvious in L.W., yeah, I mean, we began this conversation here talking about him getting arrested for allegedly many of the things we just talked about. In any of your conversations with him, Rick, did you get the impression that maybe like, you know, conning your way into a NASCAR and national race at Talladega is uh, kind of top of the bucket list, I guess. But um, do you get the impression that maybe there's even maybe he he's done something else besides just NASCAR that uh, maybe that's a story that surfaces one day? In the story that's coming out, he kind of talks about why he wound up at Talladega. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Catch Me If You Can about Frank Abagnale. Larry gives me that kind of impression that he needed to go to Talladega in order to satisfy some kind of itch and, and then go from there. He also says that he went to Talladega at least in part to satisfy some trouble that he was in with the FBI. How, how does that happen? Are you going to hide from the FBI in plain sight? I... Yes, sir. <laughs> yes, That's sir. Incredible. That's incredible. Yeah. Uh, you've talked yeah. about, he has a number of known aliases. Uh, how many different fake names have you been able to, to uncover of his? On the, the information I saw on the website. Well, there's Larry Wright, there's Larry Smith, I think it was, and Ernest, somebody else. And then I actually got a phone call recently in the last couple of weeks from a hotel in Nashville, Tennessee. And they said that an Ernest Tuscio had left their cell phone behind. And my name was the only one to contact. And the only person that it could have been was Larry. And so, yeah, there's, there's at least, I think there's at least four or five different that, that he has used over the years. Wow. Uh, that's fascinating. That's, I wonder how many, <laughs> sounds almost like he kind of knew what he was doing. Multiple phones, uh, you know, leave them behind. <laughs> I mean, that's, yeah, that, that's crazy. In, in, in well, the that's time. That's a good thing he said there. It, it's exactly the way I feel. <laughs> I feel he knew exactly what he was doing all of this time. I don't think there's any doubt about it. Well, no, I don't think he used five different phones by accident, but I will say this. Larry comes across as very paranoid or very concerned about being caught. He also at the very same time comes across as somebody with a thirst for excitement and danger and walking on the wild side. And so when those two different sides of his nature collide, 
the current situation, I think, is what happens. Again, the Larry Wright that I know, I like. But I also know that there's another side to Larry. Larry and I and my wife actually went to lunch one day at a, a restaurant in, uh, well, we went to lunch at a restaurant. <laughs> 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 Got to be careful. Got to be careful. But we went to lunch one day and my wife liked him. Now, my wife is also a retired district court judge. And so she, she liked him, but, mm. but <laughs> honestly, I want to see the best happen for Larry. I, I don't want to see him get off the hook. Uh, I don't want to see him go free without, uh, paying his, his debt to society, but I like him. Yeah. I, the fact of the matter is I like him. I wonder, uh, then, I mean, what is next? Cause I mean, he's been arrested. I, I don't know that. I don't know the details. I'm not sure how many details, uh, you know, I'm sure you know more than I do, but what do you think is next in the LW right story? Or do you think this is virtually where it kind of winds to an end? With everything that he is charged with, and the the charges in Jefferson County, Tennessee, are not just what exists right now. From what I understand, I know for a fact that he is also wanted in Granger County, Tennessee, for some charges that are pretty substantial. And from what I understand, what I've able been able to to dig up and find out is the fact that he's also wanted in Virginia, and I think Alabama. On, on different things. So if and when he is convicted of all these things, I don't know what the penalty is, but he, uh, Larry is, uh, elderly. He is 74 years old, 74, 75, somewhere in there. And so even a matter of four or five years is going to put him even further into old age. For me, that saddens me. That saddens me for, the Larry that I know by the same token. And the way that I describe it in the story is that there are two Larry Wrights. There's Larry Wright, who's the good guy, but there's also L.W. Wright, the con artist. Right. So, you know, that makes me that makes me hurt for Larry, but L.W., yeah, he needs to pay the price if he is, in fact, guilty. Let me throw that in there. Of course, <laughs> alleged. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I'll be really curious to see what comes next, if there is something that comes next uh, in the L.W. Wright story. Um, but, uh, gentlemen, this has been fascinating for me to listen to. I, I am excited to read part two uh, of your story and to see what else comes. When was the last time uh, you might have mentioned it in the first part? I forget, Rick. But when was the last time you got to talk to Larry? <clears throat> well, yeah. is that a spoiler? <laughs> oh, no. Uh no, it's not a spoiler, <laughs> but I actually did talk to him a couple of days ago while he was in jail. I wondered, were you his one phone yeah. call? No. <laughs> <laughs> you watch too many movies. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was on the phone with a source, and Larry happened to ring in, and they put me on the line with a three-way call with Larry. Wow. So, yeah, I got to talk to him. He... He seemed very tired. He was not the upbeat, gregarious Larry Wright that I know. And I do think that Larry understands the what he's up against right now. Sure. As yeah. you know, Eric, there's one other thing. We've talked about L.W. Wright being a, sort of a legend like D.B. Cooper. Mm -hmm. I think you'd be surprised 
at how many fans have responded to us by saying, why didn't you just leave it alone? Really? Why mm. didn't you let the legend of L.W. Wright just stand like D.B. Cooper's has? To be honest with you, that might have been okay, but when you run into an enterprising journalist like Rick, and he makes his efforts to go and find L.W. Wright, and he does, and not only does he get L.W.'s story, he learns much about the man that we don't know. We never do, and he's revealed all that. And he's also revealed the side of the story that L.W. Wright is not really a bad guy when you're one-on-one -on -one with him as a person. Now, for his professions, that's another matter. And you can't really separate the person from what he's done. If he's done anything, allegedly, he will have to pay for it. That's true. But this is, this is why we're talking about him today. It's because we ignored the legend. Rather, Rick ignored the legend and went after the facts. Well, you know, Eric, it's not in a reporter's nature to just leave it alone. Mm-hmm. I mean, from the very moment that I first started getting involved in NASCAR, getting interested in NASCAR, the legend of L.W. Wright is one of the, the first legends or myths or whatever you want to call it that you learn about. And so as a reporter, you want that story. But, you know, how are you ever going to get something like that? And just right. one day, literally just by chance, it fell into my lap, and I felt obligated to chase it. So oh. – that's what I did. And so far it's turned out to be, like I said earlier, the craziest story I've ever been a part of bar none period without a doubt. Yeah. And that's an interesting argument, leaving the legend alone. But I know I, for one, and I think I can speak for many fans that, uh, I prefer to operate uh, in a world with more information. Like I want to know yeah. the facts. I want to be able to make my own judgments on the real characters, the real people involved. So, uh, I've enjoyed following this story uh, the last year or ever since that first interview, the first uh, podcast dropped. Uh, and I, I, I honestly, I'm looking forward to part two tomorrow. And I'm curious to see if this does have another chapter in the future. But um, I guess maybe to start wrapping things up, uh, what do you want fans listening ultimately to take away from uh, L.W. Wright's story? Like, like what is what conclusions, I guess, do you hope or do you maybe expect fans to draw? The legend of L.W. Wright is fantastic. He drove Talladega, nobody knew him, and he made off with $44,000 in, in equipment and cash. What we have been able to discover about L.W. Wright and Larry Wright, this is one of those rare cases, the myth doesn't even begin to scratch the surface of what actually happened. Yeah. And so truth in this case, is really stranger than fiction. That's what I think that uh, people should know. Steve, do you have any thoughts? Because you've had to listen to Rick uh, to talk about this, I'm sure, nonstop. <laughs> no. Well, I've, all through this, I've just been a spear carrier. But to be very honest with you, Rick pretty much touched on what I think listeners and viewers should take away from the entire story. We've all heard the legend, Okay. The legend is not necessarily the truth. And let's face it, we've all heard the mystery as well. Well, thanks to Rick Houston, now we know the truth. And the truth may be stranger than fiction, but it's always the better of the two.
Absolutely. Well, uh, gentlemen, I really appreciate you guys having me on to, to hear some of these stories firsthand. Uh, and I'm looking forward to whatever comes next in the L.W. Wright story, if there is another chapter in it. Um, but I really appreciate y'all having me on. Thank you, Eric. Very we enjoyed you, it. You might know me as L.W. Wright. The only place you can hear from me and the truth about me is from the Scene Vault podcast. Hey, race fans. John Dodson here from NASCAR Technical Institute. NASCAR Tech is open and enrolling with classes starting every three to six weeks. In our 48-week automotive technology program, Students learn everything from vehicle electronic technology to diagnostics and drivability. And as our exclusive educational provider for NASCAR, we offer a 15-week NASCAR elective where students learn engines, fabrication, aerodynamics, pit crew essentials, and more. NASCAR Tech also offers 36-week welding and CNC machining training programs so you can choose the path that best fits your career goals. Ready to see how you can get started? Visit uti.edu slash NASCAR today. NASCAR Technical Institute prepares graduates to work as entry-level automotive service technicians. Some graduates who take NASCAR-specific electives also may have job opportunities in racing-related industries. NASCAR Tech is an educational institution and cannot guarantee employment or salary.